particular of her father's flock. And as you stand there, out of the corner of your eye, you, you see something that you've never seen before and know that you'll probably never see again. And it's this bush that is on fire, but for some reason it's not being consumed. And as you walk closer, trying to figure out what it is, a voice speaks from it saying, back up, take off your sandals because I need you to know who you're in the presence of at this moment. I am God and I need you to go back and I need you to set those people free. And excuses start flowing and you don't even know who you're a bush. I don't know. Who do I say sent me? Simply I am says enough. I am their provider. I am their father. I am their God. I am their king. I am the morning star. So you go back and to the people that you once knew and who had a hit on your life, you go back to them and tell them to release God's people and they look at you and say no. So you do what God tells you to do, and plague after plague just keeps ravishing the city and causing chaos amongst everybody till you get to the last plague, and it's to kill the firstborn son of everyone in the land. And knowing that it would have been your future nephew that you put that on, and eventually... Pharaoh says, go, just, just get out, take God's people and just go. And as you begin to travel, just imagine caring and walking and be the leader of all these people. And as you're getting to the land where there's water and you're like, I know I've got to cross that, Pharaoh sends a hit of more people out of anger and bitterness. And he sends those people to take your life and you take your staff and you hit it on the ground and the seas part. And you walk across and the waters come back and they destroy those people. And then you're bound to just wander for years upon years upon years. And you get to see some amazing miracles along the way. You get to see God do some really cool things in your life. You get to see manna come down from heaven to feed your people. You get to see water cry out from rocks to give nourishment for the traveling. And after you've done your time and after you've put your time in, God brings you back to the mountain that you receive the Ten Commandments. And you have in your soul, you're like, that's what I've been. That's the promised land that I've been trying to get to, that I've been reading about, that I've been thinking about, that I've been dreaming about. I've had to wander with these people for 40 years and put up with their cynicism and their bitterness and their worship of idols, even though they saw the man and saw the water from the rock. I have to put up with this every day and answer their petty problems. And God brings you up into the mountain and he kind of pushes the curtain back and shows you the promised land. And you start to walk forth saying, there, <laughs> that's what I've been waiting for. It's finally. And God puts his hand on your chest and says, no, not, not you. I have somebody else that's going to go into the promised land. Right now, I'm going to take your life. And you're going to be with me in heaven. We've been in Colossians for the past three weeks. And the more I read it, the more I realize that as a leader, as a preacher, I can't just, I can't just give you a three-point sermon on how to live better. <laughs> I can't package it up like that. 
So if you're looking for that, so you can take notes very structuredly, you can go home and you can live by those three things to have the perfect life, then you've come to the wrong <laughs> sermon, wrong talk, because it's, it's way deeper than that. It's much more intense than that. It's much more hopeful than that. And as I've read, God has just broken me down in more ways than I realized. And even singing the song that I surrender, you draw me near and, you know, I just, I want you to come into my life. We sing that a lot. I mean, that theme can be woven into other songs, but there's times where God just invades that he just breaks in without permission because he doesn't need it. It's not our lives anyway. It's his. This is his life. This is his church. All right. <laughs> let's, just, let's just get into the top. All right, it's in Colossians. Um, it's going to be on page 1,165. We actually might finish chapter one today, so. And I do wanna, I do wanna touch on something real quick. Usually when I say something um, that can be bold or just like, huh, sometimes like I, I, I'm used to weird looks from stage. You guys don't realize like I see everything, right? So as I'm speaking, I'm realizing, I'm trying to process what I just said while I'm saying what I'm saying, thinking about what I'm gonna say and trying to read your, right? Trying to read you at the same time, like, oh, Okay, next time I'm going to speak over here and say a little bit louder because they're not paying attention, right? So I, I read you guys and I see all. Oh, so if you think I don't see it, you are mistaken, right? So last week I said, hey, because um, the two themes in Colossians, right? You have false teaching, you have heresy that is leaking in, and you have this syncretism that has leaked in, right? And syncretism is this, just pulling from other religions, pulling from other areas of the world, creating it and pushing it and mashing it into Christianity and calling it faith when God is shaking his head like, no, that isn't, that isn't this at all. You've muddied the gospel down and you've screwed it up. But last week I said, hey, and this is for Americans I know, I touched, I said Christmas is syncretism, that Christmas isn't, right, a Christian holiday. And I got some really weird looks. Like some people are like, I mean, the kids hated me. I know. I'm some, that's why there's no more kids in here today that went all, I'm going back over there where they tell me Christmas, it's fun over there, right? They can talk about Christmas and gifts over here. They say it's not a holiday. And I threw Easter in there because Easter's not either. But typically, I'll get weird looks, but somebody will come up to me and after church say, I don't agree with that at all, I think but nobody said anything. So I've been praying for you guys. I don't know what you've been dealing with this week or how you've processed that thought, but I want you to know that um, if you're here because um, somebody from, was here from church last week and they said, hey, our church says, my preacher says you shouldn't celebrate Christmas, right? And you're here to see if we have something in the Kool-Aid. We don't, right? There's no, we, don't even, we don't even serve Kool-Aid for that very reason. So nobody can come back to me and say, what's going on at this church? I just wanted you guys to know that... Um, Christmas is syncretism. <laughs> I'm not saying you shouldn't celebrate. Celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Celebrate his resurrection. But I'm saying if you look at Christmas as a whole, um, just don't think it's Christianity because it's not. Enjoy the day. Have fun time with family, right? Get up, eat some breakfast, have some Cinnabons, put the cookies out with some milk. at the, Do what you do, but I'm saying it's not. It's, don't think it's Christianity, right? So don't, when people put Xmas, don't get all in the tizzy, right, and start putting stuff on your Facebook saying, put, we need to put Christ back in Christmas. We need to put Christ back in Christmas. We don't. 
because he was never in Christmas in the first place. So take Christ out of Christmas. Does that help? I don't know if that helped or not. I just thought I had a couple more minutes for my talk, so I just thought I'd. Are y'all ready to dig in? Colossians 1, verse 21. I'm going to read to the end of chapter 1. We may get into 2 today. We'll see if I got time, if they don't do this, and I'm, you know, how, where I am in my talk. So if not, but we're just going to read um, to the end of chapter 1 right now. And if you guys don't have a Bible, if you're here for the first time and you guys don't have a Bible, please take these, right? Take it home. If you don't have a Bible at home, this is our gift to you, um, and just enjoy that. So... Here we go. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that had been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you to the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy. Did you catch that? Which works so powerfully in me. Verse 21 has this word, and there's a couple things that I kind of want to hit on that as I was reading are kind of big statements, and I've read Colossians before, and sometimes we can read it and just kind of gloss over it because it doesn't seem like it's too broad or too big, but there's a couple things that happen, and then one is in that verse 21 where it says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, we're going to touch on that, and we're also going to touch on this On 24, where it says, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body. That word alienation, the word alienation is this idea of, um, can you turn me down a little bit? I feel like I'm really loud. I'm loud anyway. Just now I'm obnoxious. That sounds better. All right. I'm not loud? Am I loud? Maybe it's just me. Maybe I don't know. Because I'm, I'm going to get louder. That's the thing. So if I feel like if I'm loud now, right, I'm kind of talking just calm and I feel loud and I'm about, to, I'm about to go off here in a little bit. Just a warning. So <laughs> heads up. So if you've got earplugs, you might want to hearing aid, just turn it off and just shake your head. All right. So here we go. Alienation is this idea of, listen, it said in the scripture that Christ is the body, is the head of the church, right? He is the head. Here's alienation, that what we've done is we've separated ourselves from the body. 
we've taken ourselves away from the head and we've just, it's like we've cut our heads off and we just walked away and we're just, and we're just wandering now, right? right? We had high school coach, I mean, coaches say really stupid things. Sometimes they get really excited. We used to have this coach in high school, that um, football coach. I mean, we always had this pregame pep talk and we all had to bite our lip, right? Because he would say really the dumbest things. It didn't make sense, right? But you can't laugh because he'll kick you in the helmet, right? So you're just sitting there and you bite your lip. You're laughing because I laugh a lot. So I'm like, so I'm biting my lip just because it helps me not smile. Because he just said dumb stuff like, and this is football. He's like, I don't care if we win three to one. We got to go out there. We got to beat them. If you don't play football, you can't score one point, right? You only get one point, right? Is after you can kick an extra point after the touchdown. So we're all like, coach, you can't. Somebody went to raise their hands. I'm like, no, don't, don't say anything. Just let them go, right? We had a coach in college. It was, he, get all, he gets all tense. He's, he's like, listen, you guys are out there running around like chickens with your legs cut off. We need to get together. We're like, coach, you can't run around like chickens with your legs cut off, right? But when coaches are intense and they're going, you just let them do their thing, right? But that's what it's like. Not with their legs cut off. We're like running around like chickens with our heads cut off, and we've alienated God. We've alienated from the head, And then it says, we're hostile towards him for what's happening in our life. Like, we're mad at everybody. Things happen, right, in our marriages, we blame it on our spouse, right? I I blame a lot on the kids, right? Something gets broken that I know I broke. I'm like, dang, kids, they shouldn't have been messing with stuff. I know they probably did it. I can blame a lot on the kids. I don't like to take blame, right? If something's happening at work, what do we do? It's, it's everybody. We, it's hard for us to accept it. We push blame everywhere. If somebody hurt your feelings, obviously you've never hurt their feelings, so they had no right to come and say something. So everything is we push the blame. So we're just mad at people. We just get mad, and we do the same thing to God. We're mad at you for what's happening in our life. And he's like, are you serious? I had it under control. I'm the head, and you've alienated yourself from me, right? And it's just like we're running around, and we have no head, and we're just dumb, and we're stupid, and we're about trip, right? And we're just running around in circles, and we're just like, hey, I don't know even where I'm going. I'm just going to try and figure this out. But hey, follow me. You should, like, what? Follow you? You don't even know. You don't even have a head. Why would I follow you? You don't even know where you're going. Here's an easier way to do it. It's the Griswolds driving around Big Ben. Remember that? They just kept driving and he couldn't get over. And he's like, hey, kids, look, it's Big Ben in Parliament, right? And for like 12 hours, he's on a roundabout and he couldn't get in the left lane, right? He just keeps going around. Anybody see that movie? Just keep driving. Hey, kids. And they're like, we know it's Big Ben, right? So you just keep driving and you can't get over and you're stuck. And we live in this perpetual, because here's the thing, alienation isn't a one-time thing. Oh, oh, I don't have a head. It's probably good if I come back to the head, that would make more sense because I could actually see, right? No, we in our bitterness just stay mad, right? And we just keep circling and circling and circling. And we look at God and we throw our hands up like, what the heck? Why is all this stuff happening in my life? Because it's perpetual. It's not a one-time deal. It's perpetual. We keep doing it. One preacher called it, you get stuck in the cul-de-sac of just stupidity, right? You just keep going around in the cul-de-sac and you can't find your way out. We've alienated ourselves from the creator, from the head, and then we're mad at him but it has everything to do with our evil behavior. But here's the thing. 
Here's where the story of Moses, if you're wondering, like, I don't know what the story of Moses had anything to do with what we're talking about now. Here's the thing. There's times, and this, it's not maybe it might happen, or you might get lucky and skate out of this life with nothing going on and no hard times in your life. God's like, no, I'm going to make you bleed. You're going to go through really difficult times. And we said it last week, you might have to bury your child. Cancer is going to sweep through your family and wreck it. There's going to be a divorce in your family, and you held that couple to a high esteem. You might lose everything in the blink of an eye. And here's the hope. Like Moses was just bound to wandering. Don't know why. I mean, there's, obviously, we can look. We have 2020, but there's still, right? We look at it like, isn't, isn't God a gracious God? I mean, 40 years. I'm 36, right? That's... That's a long time to wander around in the desert. It gets, I've never really hung out in the desert, but if you have, it's probably hot, right? We can't just stop at the well, right, and push the handle down. This isn't Horseshoe Lake where they just have the handle on the pump. You can just sit there and drink. It's, it's hot and it's sandy and it's dry, and he was bound to it for 40 years just to keep wandering, right, into wandering. Why? Probably because the people he was carrying chopped their heads off and started wandering and doing stupid stuff, and they were stuck in this cul-de-sac of what? Stupidity, and they've alienated themselves from God after the fact that he saved them from the oppression, after the fact that he split the Red Sea, after the fact that he fought, had bread fall from heaven, after the fact that he cried, water cried out of rocks. After all that, 22, I'm just getting started. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel you heard. But he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Despite us, despite all the dumb things that we do, despite us detaching ourselves and alienating ourselves and having hostility to God, he still broke into our lives and he invaded us. And he pushed out any blemish. He pushed out any imperfection. He squeezed us out. He absorbed it on the cross. And he presented us to his father, holy and blameless and perfect in his sight. That's the Christ that we serve. That's the Christ that died on the cross. That's the point of the cross. That's the reason why we're even here this morning, that we have the grace to get out of bed and to walk into church. He broke through your disease. He broke through your affliction. He broke through your bitterness and hostility and your anger. And while you were wandering in that cul-de-sac, he invaded your life and he squeezed out anything that was imperfect and he presented you to his father, blameless and perfect and holy. That is the Christ. That is the gospel. And that is what we can reside in and what we can hope in. Are you going to bleed? Heck yes. Life is going to suck. There's going to be moments where you don't want to get out of bed, where your depression is so hard that you feel like, I can't go another day with the mind doing what it does. I just want to sleep it away and I want to forget everything. But you have a Savior that invaded your life, that broke in. 
1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that, here's why he died. Whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Some of us are asleep right now. Not physically, you might be, that's okay. I can just talk a little louder. But some of us are just wandering just doing what we do, just learning whatever we learned as a kid. We just keep living that way, angry and hostile towards God. And when the scriptures tell us the things that we have in our walk aren't of God like Christmas and Easter and all these things that we put on the calendar and we live by, we swear by, we think it's the gospel, we make it the gospel. He's like, you don't get it. God is God and he is the father. But sometimes I know we look at him and what Thessalonians is saying is this. Some of us look at God, right? Like he's, this, like he's the head of the mafia, right? Like he's a godfather and he's just sitting back in his chair, right? Ready to strike down his wrath. We sit in anticipation, not wanting to screw up because of fear that God might punish us. And you think the things that you were going through is his wrath. But I'm telling you, 1 Thessalonians says there is no wrath for us. He absorbed his wrath on the cross. He's not here to destroy you. He's here to give you mercy and to give you grace. That hard thing you're going through right now isn't his wrath. It's his mercy to break you down, to break us down. I struggle every, not every day, I struggle a lot with the fact of what I thought Atrium would be at this stage. I thought we'd be two or three services easy, four or 500 people. And you know, I don't give a rip about numbers. I'm just telling you expectations I had in my head. And when things don't go that way, it's like I move away from the source and I get angry at him. And I think he's punishing me for something that I've done. And some of you guys think you're being punished right now. Or your life would be different. Or you'd have the job. Or that you wouldn't have to bleed like you're bleeding. Or you wouldn't have to go through the things that you're going through. Everything would be just be, right, great. It'd be Christmas all the time. Y'all ain't having Christmas at Atrium. Just joking. It is not his wrath. It is his mercy. It's his mercy. It's a privilege. Paul says it. I consider it a privilege. And he's writing you from jail, right? Like we said before, this isn't three meals, right? I get an hour of playtime during the day with cable TV in a library, and I can earn a college degree in pump iron. So when I come out, I can whoop your tail and have a good job, right? It's not that kind of jail, right? It's not concrete floors jail. Let me barter um, this, this shank for some cigarettes kind of jail. This is, I'm going to whoop your, t- I'm going to flog you. I'm going to beat you. And you're going to be, there, there ain't no light. There's no electricity. 
There hasn't been a kite with the key yet, right? I mean, this is candles. We're not, once it gets dark, there's no light, right? And you're just bound by that, by your thoughts alone with nobody, and you're beaten, and I will leave you to die kind of jail. And Paul says, I consider the privilege to go through what I'm going, right? So I can boast about nothing. And if atrium ever becomes whatever God needs it to become, I'm telling you I can't boast about, about anything because I've tried really hard to get it to where I thought it would get it, and I fail miserably. Because God tells me this is not what you think this is going to be. This has nothing to do with you. I want you to know that what you're going through, don't listen to the preachers on TV that tell you if you have more faith, you wouldn't be going through what you're going through. That is a lie, and that is heresy, that is false teaching, that's health and wealth, and that's bullcrap. I'm telling you this bullcrap. I'm telling you, you are going to bleed, right? And he's going to break you down. So he gets the glory, so we cannot boast. Paul says in 24, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction. And I read that, and I'm like, listen, Christ's affliction, Christ lacks nothing. He is God. He is everything. He is full. Nothing can lack in God. And it, through, I didn't know how to really even preach at first. I was like, I don't even know how to preach this. I don't. To me, when I first read it, it kind of goes against everything else that I read in the gospel. Nothing, Christ lacks nothing. That's why he is. That's, I mean, it's what he did on the cross. He's God. He's one with the creator. He was there at creation. And here's what Paul's telling us. There's only one thing left to do. There's only one thing left to do. This is our job to go and to boast about what Christ did for people on the cross and to tell them how you've gone through the ex- you haven't gone through the crucifixion, but he's made you bleed along the way, that you've had sufferings along the way, that you've had afflictions along the way, because that's the only way that it's lacking. Because if it just stays here in the confines of Atrium and it doesn't go out to the streets in Collinsville, it is going to lack. And God's like, listen, I look at my people. Why do you think I sent Moses to save those people? Those are my people. He's looking down right here, right? I want you to be my daughter. I invited you to be my son. I invaded your life, and I want to dance with you. I want to have life with you, and I need you to now that you get it, that you understand what this is about. I need you to go into the streets. I need you to go into these cities, and I need you to preach the gospel, the real gospel, that there's a God despite all those things against me. I died on the cross for them, right? Not that if you come here, you'll be saved. This isn't about atrium. I'm not telling you to go preach atrium. That is not why we exist. Because if we do that, then we decreased Christ. We're not trying to do that. We're trying to decrease ourselves so we fade into the background and Christ gets glorified, that, we get, that he gets brought up and that we get pushed down. You need to tell people that while they were still sinners, Christ died on the cross for them. And listen, he gets it. You think you're like, oh, yeah, but I don't know. Like, my life, it's really screwed up, right? I, just, I don't know if I can come to church and, right, and be, if I expose it, somebody finds out who I am, they'll think, right? They'll, think, they'll, they'll look at me and they'll ridicule me. They'll, I'm, I'll be something less. You are something less. I'm something less. I'm a big sinner. I screw up a lot. I make some stupid decisions. But if we hold that in, we're just, <laughs> we're just validating what everyone else says about the church anyway, right? That we're hypocrites. Let's just say it. 
I'm not saying just go out and start talking. Hey, did you know how I messed up this way? I don't say you got to share it with everybody. But I'm just saying, while we were still sinners, Christ died on the cross. While we were still sinners, Christ died on the cross. Some of that should have got an amen. Can I get an amen? amen? That you should be excited about because it has nothing to do with what you can do. It has nothing to do with what you bring to the table. But we can't stop here. Paul says, I've become in 25, I've become its servant by the commission God gave to me to present you to the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages but is now disclosed to the saints. The mystery was Jesus. There's going to be a coming. It was alluded to all in the Old Testament. There's going to be a king come to save the people, the last king, the last sacrifice, the last rabbi. No more rabbis, no more sacrifices. No more wrath. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. I love the first three verses, first three words of 26 or 28. We proclaim him. We proclaim him. Him, not us. We proclaim him. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To make known to God, has chosen to make known to the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him. We have Christ, the living God, living in us. The hope of glory. Because this isn't, this isn't, I mean, this isn't fairy tale stuff. Like, this is real stuff. The church is real. God is real. His son that died on the cross is real. Don't think it's that distant. Don't think that time has anything to do with the separation between him and us. This is real. This is urgent. And I'm here to challenge you guys. To let people know, right, not that they're sinners, but that there's hope because we are sinners too. Let's not forget where we came from. <laughs> Let's not come beating people with the Bible, right? We proclaim him. He invaded our life. He made us bleed. He uses us to bring him glory, to set his people free. We aren't Moses, don't get me wrong. But he uses us and he needs us because there's one thing lacking for the people in Atrium to take that message, to take the gospel and to tell people that don't know him. Listen, I want to give you hope that Christ died for you, that he's invaded your life and he sent his son and he's died on the cross. So there's no wrath. He's not here to condemn you. He's not here to swallow you up. And that instantly, when we begin to serve, like Paul serves the church, when we begin to serve people, it doesn't bring hostility. It brings action, right? And I'm challenging, if this is what you're calling home, if this is your place where you're investing, let Atrium be the place where we can be trained and we can be brought up and we can be encouraged 
and we can grow, not to put more butts in the seats, but to proclaim him even more. Because we're gonna proclaim him, whether it's you guys or just us. If there's one person, I don't care if it's a person just running the chords, and I'm in the words in the back, we're gonna sing, we're gonna proclaim him because he deserves it. And off to the side.